Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. How many of you would say you had the Lord speak to you? You got some downloads. Look at that. Okay. There are three that came to me, and I'm going to ask them to come and share what the Lord gave them briefly, and I'm going to tie it together. So they have to be sure if they're still here. Where did Doug go? Doug, where are you? He just stepped out. Okay. Okay. Lenny, you want to see if Doug's out there? If he is, send him in here. Tell him uh, I'm calling for him. I think, was it you that gave me a word? And Fiona, where are you? Are you still here? Come on. You didn't get that out completely, did you? <laughs> I don't know if we're going to. Okay, so, so go ahead. Uh, just briefly share again what you gave to me as, as I was sitting there. Um, <laughs> we're here oh, on a... I'm sorry. Your name? Cammie. Cammie. Hi. Hi, Cammie. Hi. We came here on a missions trip from Arkansas, and um, I saw y'all's mountains out there, and God repetitively said this to me to where I just had to tell you. But he said, um, for some people, there are like visible mountains in their lives that just seem so real. And he said, have I not given you the authority for it to move? I only have good things for my children. Come on up here, Fiona, so they can see you in the back right there. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, just go ahead and, yeah, what, what was happening? Just give it a whole. Okay. Well, it just it came from seeing the rain and the visual and just how we can um, uh, sometimes focus on the negative rather than the positive with our clouds um, in our lives but how God it's you know Luke was talking about the positive the positive mindset you know being positive and in the kingdom we want to have the mind of Christ and it was just turning around our minds to see that I mean the Bible is full of scriptures about you know the clouds and God's in the clouds and I just felt God really is in our clouds to see those as a positive thing <laughs> that there is showers of his love his grace his mercy his goodness whether it comes in a trickle or a big deluge <laughs> he is coming to us so All right you said he's releasing blessing that's the word he gave to it okay thank you i guess we didn't find out did we uh, the word he gave to me was that we all have a testimony. He said the Lord was sharing with him. We all have a testimony and that the Lord will release that testimony as we fix our eyes on Jesus. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, our testimony will be released. Just as Peter stepped out of the boat, fixing his eyes on Jesus, it created a testimony. He walked on water. You know, the miraculous took place. Okay. So those are the th- uh, three uh, people that came to me uh, sharing some things. Now, having uh, asked the Lord about w- what he would want me to share today, those uh, three words kind of play into and uh, speak into what I felt God wanted me to share today. 
I'm going to adjust it just a little bit, but I'm going to start with this and ask you, uh, would, would you say that as you have uh, tried to press into the Lord and to seek him and his kingdom, would you say that you've encountered opposition? Somebody wants to raise two hands. Everything moves forward in the kingdom in the face of opposition. That's the way. And when we encounter opposition, sometimes we think, well, I I might be on the wrong track, or did I hear God? I'm not sure. Uh, You know, know, it, it really begins to kind of unnerve you or uh, take away your confidence because of the opposition you feel like I'm, I'm I might be on the wrong track or what's wrong with me here did I hear God and so forth but I'm just telling you everything moves forward in the kingdom in the face of opposition now let me just go to a few scriptures to kind of affirm this now uh, so, so what, what does that mean? If that's the case, if we're going to face opposition, then how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to overcome it? Well, let's look at how Jesus overcame it first. Let's just real quick. I like the uh, message version of Hebrews chapter 12. And this is, I went to, while we were worshiping, I went upstairs and grabbed the message Bible and, you know, Doug came to me with this scripture, keep your eyes on Jesus, very scripture. Because this is what it says in uh, the message version of Hebrews 12, about verse 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith because of what you're going through and the opposition, the difficulties, and the trials, Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. <laughs> and I could, <laughs> the New American Standard says Jesus endured the cross. What's the rest of it? Despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was, in other everything he went through, he went through it knowing what was on the other side of it. And that it w- he was going to re- be in this place seated by the Father in heavenly places. So there was glory on the other side. What's the word that's been released over us as a church this year? We're going from glory to And we will have opposition as we move into the next level of glory. But what do you do? You, Jesus went through what he went through, that long litany of stuff, it says, 
in the message. He went through it because he was keeping his eye on the finish. What's to, what's to come? What's before him? The joy of the Father's uh, fellowship for eternity. That was a good place for amen. The joy of the Father. Now, what, did, what about Paul? What did he go through? See, it, it, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, he said, this is what he went through, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Now he's getting really close to where I hurt. All right. I mean, this is quite a list, right? He went through. He's saying, I went through all this stuff. But then he says, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So Paul said, I went through all of this stuff, these difficulties, beatings and imprisonments and all these distresses, I went through all these things. But he said, it's not just... It's not just all the tough stuff I went through because in Christ, you know, you experience this place of even though you feel like you're dying, yet there's always this sense of the life of Christ coming out of your experience. You know, it's him being birthed in you, his power, his glory, his strength coming forth. He said, we go through sorrowful times, yet yet rejoicing. <laughs> huh? You're going through a sorrowful time and you're rejoicing? So let's go to Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah go through? God wanted to restore a relationship with his people, Israel. Israel had sinned against God and been taken into captivity. And God, after 70 years, began to bring a restoration to them. And what he's after is to restore a relationship. That's what he's after, relationship. As a matter of fact, all the stuff you're going through, all the stuff we're going through, I'm going through, the purpose is to bring us into a deeper relationship with our Father in heaven. To... That we become overcomers in this life. Because of the things that we go through, if we'll fix our eyes on Jesus, and as he did, and and look for the joy that's set before us, which is an eternal fellowship with the Father who loves us beyond anything we can imagine. Because he sent his only son to die for us. Have you ever really stopped about and thought about that? The depth of that kind of love that he would sacrifice his son for us? So 
So Nehemiah is sent by God to bring restoration for Israel. And they've, they've rebuilt the temple, uh, and that's Ezra talks about that. And that was the first thing they did. But after they rebuilt the temple, they next wanted to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. God is trying to restore his people. First he's going to restore the wall, and then he's going to restore the people to himself. Now, in restoring the wall, what he did is he put on Nehemiah's heart the condition that the people were in. They had tried for many years, up to 70 years, to rebuild that wall, which is a place of safety for the city, for them to dwell. Without the the walls, they were vulnerable to their enemies. And so uh, Nehemiah asked uh, about the condition. He was a cupbearer to the king in Persia, and he asked about the condition of those who were still living in Jerusalem trying to restore the walls. They restored the temple, now they're going to restore the walls. And, you know, they're trying to come out of captivity into this place and being reestablished as a nation. And so when Nehemiah inquired about the condition of the people there, uh, they said to me, verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great What? Distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. When Nehemiah heard this, the scripture tells us he was just brokenhearted. He just, you know, his brothers, his family, you know, his nation, these people are in distress. These people are in reproach. They're unprotected. They're not safe. They're not living in a safe place. And so... What happened is that these walls, every time they try to rebuild them, the enemy would come in and tear them down. They'd try to rebuild them, the enemy would come in and tear them down. The truth is, in our own lives, where the walls are broken down in our thinking and our emotion about our relationship with God and who we are and our identity and our destiny and these things, where the walls of safety are down, they have to be rebuilt so we can re, we can, we can Begin this process of soul restoration. If you, you have to come to this place of safety in Christ, where you're in Christ, and in that place with Him, that place of safety that He creates, now you're in a place for the Father to talk to you about the stuff that's separating you from Him, and to, and to change, and to Transform your character and take you from this place of glory to glory, from revelation to revelation. And so it's important that that the walls of safety get rebuilt in our heart. But Nehemiah faced opposition all along the way. And what I did is I kind of looked at these seven uh, attacks of the enemy that Nehemiah had to face. And what I did is I translated these attacks into a spiritual equivalent. So it's, I'm, I'm taking the truth of what Nehemiah experienced and, and putting that into spiritual context of the opposition that we experience that is demonic or satanic, satanic that we will experience in our own life. And there are, there are seven of them. So I've got a, a list of seven things, and I'm going to read fast if you'll listen fast. You want to listen fast? All right. The first attack was to belittle Nehemiah's attempt to rebuild the walls and the people of 
Israel to rebuild the walls. Remember, they got to rebuild the walls for safety. This is the first step in God's process of restoration because he wants to restore a relationship with them, with Israel. But so, so he's going to rebuild the walls. And the first attack was to, uh, to belittle him. And, and it's an attack on your significance. And Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6 is where I'm getting this from. And this is what you will hear. This is what you'll hear. You are insignificant, and what you're doing is insignificant. That's the voice of the enemy toward you and what you're doing. The se- Listen, not everybody is going to celebrate who you are and what you're doing. I know it's a shock. I mean, I, I came out of the... the Military. Uh, Joyce and I were in the Azores, Portugal, as in hospital administration, and, and out of the military. You know, I was an I was an officer, and I was used to the, what goes on in the honoring of the rank and the salute and so forth, and you know that kind of thing. And then I went into the ministry. Well, that was a different world. You know, where I was used to people. Yes, sir, you know, uh, here it was like, well, who are you? <laughs> Not everybody is going to celebrate who you are and what God has called you to do. Ignore it. That just means they're not part of your destiny. Instead of having your feelings hurt, You think I'm insignificant? See, you can get stopped right there. But the next attack was to intimidate, which is to attack your emotions and your peace, to take away your peace. I almost feel like asking you to raise your hands if I get close to anything you're dealing with. What do you hear when, when that attack comes? You hear things like, do you know what people are saying about you? People are angry with you, and they're planning on stirring up others to oppose you. If you lead anything, you're going to hear that. The the next attack is to overwhelm you, to attack your weaknesses. This This comes out of Nehemiah 4, 10 through 23, and this is what you hear. You're tired, and there's nothing more. uh, I'm sorry. You're tired, and there's more to do than can be done. You're not strong enough, and you're not capable, and you have things in your life that make you vulnerable to criticism. Paul said, not that we are adequate in ourselves as considering anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So, to belittle you, to intimidate you, to overwhelm you, the next one is to enslave you, that is to attack your freedom to put a spirit of slavery on you, to think like a slave, which means I have no options. My options have been taken away. It's the spirit of God coming on you that gives you options. But what you hear under this attack on your freedom is you're not free to do the Lord's will. The circumstances around you and the circumstances you in are too great for you to overcome and move forward. You're stuck. Anybody heard that? 
The next one is to distract you, to attack your focus, Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. This is what you hear. Stop what you're doing and come talk with us about it. You need to justify it to us. Some of the things you're doing are out of balance and should be stopped. If you're going to get into a move of God's Spirit where there is a revival of God's Spirit and manifestation of the Spirit of God, you are going to hear that. What you're doing is out of balance. You spend too much time praying for the sick. Well, that's what Jesus did. It's it's not the sum total of the kingdom, but it certainly is part of the kingdom, is it not? So I mean, I'm just telling you that when when you move forward, you're going to move forward with the opposition of the enemy who's going to say these kind of things. Now, and then two more accuse you. Satan is like the accuser of the brethren, and the attack is going to be on your motives. Really, it's on your identity of who you are. This is out of Nehemiah six five through nine. This is what you hear: What you're doing is for your own personal gain. You're just trying to build your own empire, your own ministry. To accuse you of your wrong motives for what you're doing. And the last one is to lie or seduce because he's the father of liars. That is to attack your faith. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. And this is what you hear. Has God really told you who you are and what he wants you to do? False words, false prophecies. Things will be spoken to you to get you to do something outside of the father's will so that you can be discredited in what you're doing. So... You can sum up all of these things that the enemy does to create opposition along the way in, in terms of intimidation, fear, and lies. These are all attempt to stop you and to take away your sense of safety, your sense of peace, and, and to really bring into question God's love for you. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to start questioning does God really love me? Does he really know my address? Does he really care about what I'm going through? Does he understand how difficult this is? How could Jesus and Paul, I'm just using two out of many in the Bible, how could they, how did they, in all the stuff they went through, apparently they, they didn't find themselves questioning whether God loved them or whether God was with them. They plowed through it because they knew what was on the other side. Paul knew he was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And because he knew that, the list I read you of all the stuff he went through, he plowed through it. Nehemiah now is is another illustration of, he knew what he was called to do. He was called to rebuild the walls and restore the people's relationship to God. And because of that, just the stuff I read to you, he plowed through it. He wouldn't stop. At one point, he said, I'm doing a great work. I don't have time to come talk to you. To have that mindset in the face of opposition, we are in in an unstoppable move of the Spirit of God. I am in an unstoppable move of the Spirit of God. 
the opposition that will come, the things that will come up to try to tell us that we're disqualified, we're inadequate, we're inferior, who do we think we are? That is what the enemy throws at you personally and would try to throw at us corporately to get us to give up and quit. That's, that's what he wants you to do. This is too hard. And I know, I know what that feels like. John Maxwell said when he used to preach, uh, so, some people who may or may not know him, but he was a, a well-known pastor before he went into a ministry of teaching leaders. He said, when I'd preach, he said, every week when I'd go home on Sunday, after I'd go home on Sunday, he said, I'd resign. He's like, I'm quitting this. I'm not doing well at this. I'm not going to keep this up. This is too much pain. Some of you feel like that with what you're going through. It's just like, this is too much. But, but after, but here's what happened. For 70 years, they tried to rebuild the wall and they couldn't. But Nehemiah was sent in and Nehemiah knew he was on mission from God and he had the favor of God on him and the provision of God with him and they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That's acceleration. That's acceleration of restoration. The the Lord wants to bring acceleration of restoration to us. And what, you know, where he sent Nehemiah in, he's already sent Jesus in for us. Now, there's something that we can do. I've got, I've got just a few minutes, I'm out of time, but I, I, want, I want to finish this up by going to Nehemiah 8. I, I need to read it, and I'll close. They called the people together to hear the word of God. The walls have been rebuilt. Now God wants to rebuild relationship with his people. They've been in captivity 70 years. Now we're going to rebuild relationship. Verse 8 of Nehemiah 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy. What What do they say it is? Holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. Oh, so they're hearing the word of God read and they're weeping when they hear the word of God. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat the fat, drink the sweet. He wasn't speaking to a bolder people. So, it's right there in the Word. I think I have some sweet iced tea. So, go eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. They heard the word of the Lord 
and they realized that where they were living did not measure up to where God wanted them to be. And it grieved them. That word grieve means pain. They actually felt pain in their heart toward God for what they had done. It's like, oh God, we haven't even come close to what you're asking us to live where you want us to live. We're not living in the level that you've asked us to live. And it caused great pain and they were mourning and they were weeping. <laughs> it says, be still for the day is holy. We think, we think it to be holy would to be weeping before God. Right? Isn't that holiness? I'm sorry, God, for my sin. Weeping and brokenness. But he says, this is holy to the Lord. Have a party. Celebrate. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. They understood it's not a time to be in pain and grief for their sin, but it's a time of joy. Why? Because although they hadn't measured up to God's standards, that he's, what's happening is he's giving them revelation in, that will empower them to live to those standards. That's grace. He's saying, I'm releasing grace to you. You're aware and in pain because of your shortcomings and your failure and your sin. But I've got news for you. I don't want you weeping over it right now. I want you rejoicing of what I'm going to do to bring you up out of it and into a new relationship with me. So let the joy of the Lord be your strength right now in your weakness, in your failure. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. We have to take this joy thing seriously because it strengthens us. In chapter 9, they gathered for one day of confession of sin. In chapter 8, seven days of feasting and one day of confession of sin. I thought revival and a move of God was repenting of sin, yeah? But that comes after after you've come to a place of safety with Him that you are aware you are accepted. You are loved. And where you're falling short, He's going to empower you by His Holy Spirit to live it. So you can plow through that long litany of stuff that you're going through right now. You can plow through it because there's joy on the other side for you. Now, how do you get that joy? When he says stop being in pain, how do you get that joy? In the world, you rejoice when your circumstances are joyful, right? If my circumstances were just changed if they were just different I could be happy right now you've never said that have you or thought it have you <laughs> but in the king see in the world it's your circumstances 
if they're happy, joyful, you rejoice. But in the kingdom, your joy is a result of your rejoicing. He says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then you bring your prayers to him in Philippians. He said, sing, O barren one. Paul and Silas are in jail. What they do? Sing and praise the Lord. And God set them free from jail. Are you, in, are you going through something right now? Are you in this place right now that you're, look, you're wanting to bust out? You need to bust. You know, are you going through all this stuff? Well, rejoice. Oh, I don't. I don't feel like it. I've talked about this message, about this truth from many angles over the years. And I can just tell you, every time I'm confronted with a circumstance that just wants to take me down, an opposition like Nehemiah faced, every time I hear the lies and it wants to discourage me and take take me out emotionally, every time I have to make this decision to praise God, rejoice in the Lord when I don't feel like it at all. Some of you know what I'm saying, right? You just choose. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. My circumstances are still the same, but I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. Because when you rejoice in the Lord, it brings joy, which will give you strength to go through it. All this joy, unspeakable joy, which by the way is laughter, And we've had it breaking out in our midst. And some of us go, what's that? All this unspeakable joy is taking us somewhere. It means we've come to a place of safety in our midst where the Lord is beginning to bring revelation to us about His goodness and bring revelation to us about His love and revelation about who we are as accepted sons and daughters and revelation about our destiny and revelation about what He's going to do to empower us to live with Him in a a, a relationship for eternity. All this joy. So we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about it. We have to just say, I'm just... I just would be transparent right here. There have been moments when I'm just so depressed about what's going on in my life. And I have to stop and say, Lord, I'm just going to praise you right now. I'm just going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you praise. And the, and the laughter and the joy just begins to pour out of my heart. You know? away to you today what will strengthen you in the midst of your trial when the enemy is lying to you and telling you you're going down I'm telling you God is giving you grace to understand rejoice in the Lord and he will give you strength and pull you up out of this would you stand we're going to sing this I know we're running a little late but let's sing this Luke 